0: Welcome to the latest employment law podcast from Stevenson-Harwood Employment Team. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Richard Friedman and I'm an associate in the team. I have with me Kate Greeley, an employment partner in the Stevenson-Harwood International Employment Group. This podcast is a first in a mini-series on employee competition which coincides with the publication of the new edition of Kate's book Employment Covenants and Confidential Information, Law, Practice and Technique, co-written and co-edited with Selwyn Block QC of Littleton Chambers, which will be released very shortly. Today, we will discuss some key practical steps employers can take at the start of an employment relationship to protect their business during employment, including the following issues. Firstly, the key considerations at the start of the employment relationship regarding potential future competition. Secondly, some important contractual terms restricting competitive activity during employment or preparatory steps for competitive activity. And finally, practical tips on these matters. Kate, as lawyers, we are frequently asked by clients what they can do about an employee who they believe is competing, or more often than not, planning to compete in the future. This is something that all employers hope will not happen, but is something that should be considered at the outset of an employment relationship. Could you start by explaining why potential issues should be at the forefront of an employer's mind when hiring a new employee?
1: Thanks, Richard. Unfortunately, competitive activity from employees is something that many employers do face at some point. There are steps that can be taken when the competitive activity comes to light, but nothing replaces a carefully considered and drafted employment contract. When an employer is considering a new hire... They should think carefully about what the role will encompass and as a result how that employee may be able to damage the business should they compete in the future. Once the employer has identified how the business may be damaged then they will be best placed to incorporate protection into the employment contract at the time the employment commences.
0: Thanks Kate. Whilst those concerns won't be at the forefront of most people's minds when they are making a new hire, Presumably, if they don't consider the possible issues at that stage, then by the time the employee engages in any competitive activity, or they become aware of the employee planning to engage in competitive activity, it might be too late? Exactly, Richard.
1: It'd be very difficult to get an individual to agree to vary their contract to get the protection the employer needs. Once the employer is aware that there is an issue, even if the employer does manage to vary the contract, that will highlight the fact that the employer has concerns regarding what the employee is up to, and this may compromise the ability to obtain evidence at a later date.
0: So specifically, what are some of the key points that an employer should think about in relation to competitive activity at the outset of an employment relationship?
1: There are a range of terms that should be considered. Some of those will be specific to the role and business in question. Some of them are more general. The more general ones particularly fall into three categories. First of all, terms that apply during the employment relationship. Secondly, those that relate to how the employment relationship can be terminated. And thirdly, post-termination restrictive covenants. Post-termination restrictive covenants are, uh, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, a subject almost in themselves. And we'll deal with those in a separate podcast. So returning to the more general terms... First of all, we need to identify what level of commitment is expected from the employee in terms of working hours, and also what outside business interests the employer is willing for the individual to hold at the same time as the employment. Secondly, and most importantly, codifying the implied term of the duty of good faith and fidelity, which is a term implied into all contracts of employment. Next, in relation to confidential information what confidential information will the employee have access to and how could that be misused by the employee to compete with the employer. So a term relating to confidential information is critically important. And if the employee does engage in competitive activity during employment, what does the business want to be able to do to protect its interests? Would, for example, putting the employee on garden leave and out of the market be appropriate or would you perhaps want to retain the employee in the business but doing other activities?
0: So it's clear that there are plenty of things for an employer to consider on this front, even before the employment has commenced. It's likely that employers won't know all the answers to the questions you've outlined above. So, when preparing the contract, it's important to not only include the protection required but also the flexibility to adapt to different circumstances. Whilst what specifically should be included in a contract of employment will depend on the role and business in question, there are some clauses that should be included in the large majority of employment contracts to protect the business from competing activity during the employment. Your book covers each of these in significant detail, but we are going to discuss some practical elements of a few of these today. Firstly, all contracts should contain provisions relating to working hours and outside interests. How can an employer use such provisions to help protect their business?
1: As you say, Richard, contracts should include provisions relating to working hours and employers can use a clause relating to outside interest alongside the working hours clause to protect their business. These clauses will also interlink with provisions relating to the employee's duties. A working hours provision, as the name suggests, sets out when an employee will be required to work This can just be a set period of time, for example in more junior contracts, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, or can be drafted to cover any additional time that an employee's duties may require them to the work. During those contracted hours which have been identified, the employee must work exclusively for the employer. However, such a clause can do more than simply detail when the employer should be working. Alongside a working hours clause, consider what business activities the employer would be happy for the employee to be engaging in. For example, it may be that the other business interests are permitted, or that other business interests are only permitted with the consent of the employer. Where the consent of the employer has been given, the clause, particularly for senior employees, should always provide that the consent may be withdrawn in certain circumstances.
0: Thanks, Kate. Whilst all contracts of employment have implied duties of good faith and fidelity, you mentioned earlier that consideration should be given to codifying these duties in the contract of employment. What you have said in relation to working hours and outside interest goes some way to doing this, but how else could an employer codify the implied duty of fidelity to help protect itself against competitive activity? Also, if these duties are already implied... What is the benefit in expressing them in the employment contract?
1: The key benefit, Richard, is that implied terms are by their nature imprecise and there is uncertainty as to their scope. This increases the likelihood of an argument over whether a certain activity is in breach of an implied term or is not. The implied duty of fidelity can extend to prohibit a range of activities, such as disrupting the employer's business, soliciting clients or customers, or even requiring the employee to disclose their own or colleague's wrongdoing. However, what the implied duty of fidelity will prohibit will depend on the individual employment relationship. A simple and practical way to reduce such uncertainty is to record and even extend the obligations included within the duty of fidelity in the contract of employment. There are a number of ways in which an employer can do this, and this is something, as you say, that we look at in significant detail in the book. But just by way of an example, express provisions that an employer may want to include, and we would advise they do so, is firstly a general obligation to act in the best interest of the employer and to promote the employer's business, and importantly, not to do anything to damage that business. That negative expression of the term is important. Secondly, a requirement to disclose certain information to the employer relating to, for example, approaches made by competitors to poach the employee or his colleagues, or information related in competitive activity which is being undertaken or being planned by colleagues or the employee himself. A duty not to solicit other employees to join a competitor might also be included. Also, a duty not to use the employer's property including the employer's confidential information.
0: Thanks, Kate. When you talk about property, do you mean an employer's physical property or intellectual property? And also you've mentioned specifically confidential information. It's not difficult to see how all three of these types of property could be used by an employee to compete with the employer's business.
1: That's right, Richard. An employer should therefore look at including protection in respect of each of these types of property. Physical property tends to be less of an issue. More important issues are the intangible property and the confidential information of the employer. So, broadly speaking, during the employment, an employer can protect most kinds of property and information. In some instances, employers simply rely on a template clauses that they have used or seen previously in relation to confidential information and intellectual property, but this can have severe adverse consequences if the employee starts to act in a way which is damaging to the employer. What confidential information needs protecting will depend on two things. Firstly, what confidential information the business has, and secondly, whether the employee will have access to that confidential information. A confidential information clause that is appropriate for the director of a financial institution, for example, is unlikely to be appropriate for an engineer in the aviation industry. At the outset of employment, therefore, what the employer should do is think about what information would be available to the employee and damage him if used by him in a competitive activity if it was disclosed. Whilst there will be some types of information such as client lists, fee structures or research activities that need to be included in the large majority of confidential information provisions, the employer should think about and include those types of information that is specific to his business. Also make sure that the clause clearly state that its breadth is not limited to the types of information expressly referred to. Whilst it's always better to be clear what you're saying your confidential information is, it's important to leave scope to argue at a later date that other information, which may, for example, have been created after the employment relationship started, nonetheless falls within the clause. Another practical tip is to ensure that the employee's obligations prohibit not only the misuse of confidential information by direct actions, but also by indirect actions or omissions. Similarly, to say that a breach will occur if the employee facilitates the use or misuse of the confidential information. Finally, remember to include provisions requiring the return of property and confidential information on request and always on termination of employment or where there is a garden leave provision in the contract that might be exercised when that provision is exercised. Intellectual property is, of course, a whole topic in itself It is something that every employer should consider whether they have intellectual property which should be protected and an appropriate clause should be included. We're fortunate at Stevenson-Harwood to have an eminent intellectual property team and we work with them regularly to tailor intellectual property
0: clauses to the
1: appropriate circumstances of the employment relationship.
0: Thanks Kate. As well as provisions to try and stop competitive activity... What practical tips can you give employers about what they should include in the contract if they find out that an employee is engaging, or planning to engage, in competitive activity? One of the key issues
1: when an employer discovers that sort of information is to consider what is in the best interest of the business. It is often inevitable that the employee will be leaving at some point, and the issue is really how that is achieved. The most common provision that we would recommend be included is the option to send an employee on garden leave, which means that they will continue to be employed for a notice period, but they will be separated from the business and separated from the customers and clients of the business and the business's confidential information. Whilst putting the employee in the garden might be the best option for an employer who's discovered actual or potential competitive activity. There may be circumstances where it's more appropriate to keep the employee in the business, but in a role in which they can't damage the business. This way they, for example, are still in the office, they can be monitored but not engaged in a role which gives them an opportunity to cause further harm. Often employers all include all these options in one garden leave provision, but in my view, in light of recent judgments from the courts, employers are better served by having these provisions in separate clauses. As an alternative to garden leaves, the employer may think it is better to bring the employment contract to an end straight away and to do so in a way which does not adversely affect any other provisions of the contract, particularly post-termination restrictive covenants. In those circumstances, include a payment in lieu of notice provision, which we would recommend wherever possible be limited to a payment of basic salary only and for those employers with long or expensive notice periods, an employer should think about retaining the right to make the payment in lieu of notice in monthly installments to avoid having to make a large lump sum payment at the outset. in addition, In the most senior cases, it is now quite common, particularly for listed companies, for those payments made by installments to be subject to the employee having an obligation to mitigate and to account for any sums that they receive by way of mitigation, for example from an alternative position.
0: Thanks Kate and thanks for listening. Our next podcast in this mini-series will focus on the preparation of post-termination restrictions. Don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, or by visiting the Stevenson Harwood website.